Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hey everyone, today is gonna just be me and you. I'm going through a lot right now in my personal life and my own recovery. And since there was such an overwhelmingly positive response last time, I just had kind of a tea and chat with you all. I'm gonna do that again. Recovery is not linear. And I know that's sort of a cliche statement at this point, but it really isn't. You can be doing really well for a while and think you made a breakthrough. And then some old emotions can get brought up again and it almost feels like you're drugged back down. I'm learning to embrace this beautiful process and I want to bring you in a little more intimately into my recovery journey and what's going on in my mind because I'm realizing so many of us just feel fucking crazy. And this episode is dedicated to each and every one of you that feel like you're fucking crazy because you're not. So let's get into it. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Welcome back everyone to Back From The Borderline. I am really excited to be here this morning. Well, (laughs) I'm not really excited. I'm relieved. You all are my friends. Something you might not know about me is I'm a pretty isolated person. I have a few really close friends that I'm in contact with regularly, but for the most part, I keep to myself and being able to talk to each and every one of you and then receiving the messages I do on Instagram and the reviews I get is a really healthy healing experience for me and I want you to know that. 
I'm going through the same thing that so many of you are. And what I'm doing for my recovery, it's working. And by working, I mean, I'm actually feeling changes. It's the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my entire life, but none of what I'm doing right now involves medication. I actually transitioned out of therapy because I was just feeling like I was making a lot more progress on my own, reading the books I'm reading. The universe is sort of just putting the right resources in my lap and I'm having these aha moments and I know what's happening to me right now is that I'm overcoming this thing called BPD. I recently changed my bio on Instagram to state that I'm going to start incorporating CPTSD recovery information into my podcast and Instagram. And there's a reason for that. There's so many overlapping um, things in these two quote unquote disorders. And I'm finding so much gold in the CPTSD resources that I'm coming across that I would be remiss to not share them with all of you. And I want to just start opening our minds to, we are not BPD. BPD is some label that a bunch of researchers and mental health professionals decided to put on a bunch of human beings, lumping us all into one mass. And this label helps us become more effectively placed in categories, which is beneficial for the mental health system. And I'm not saying there aren't any benefits to that, but just know that it's there to just kind of categorize people to help people in mass, to help a large amount of people. But for me, I have decided that it's no longer really helpful for me to think about myself as someone with borderline personality disorder and CPTSD and ADHD and bipolar 2 and depressed and anxious. All these things that doctors and psychiatrists have told me that I have after spending 10 minutes with me Some psychiatrists have told me, oh, you're not crazy enough to be borderline. Another doctor, when they meet me on a different day, says I'm a classic borderline. I'm fucking tired. I'm tired. But what I am finding helpful is reading resources that are trauma-informed and surround childhood emotional neglect, which is C-E-N, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. CPTSD. I'm finding these resources so incredibly helpful for me in unpacking why I have felt like a fucking horrible burden my whole life, why I have felt fucking crazy my whole life, why I have felt like it is a miracle that anyone wants to be around me or be friends with me. These resources are helping me, but what's not helping me are the labels. Because the moment that you tell someone you're a borderline, all these assumptions are made about you. And you are a beautiful, individual person. 
Now, as many of you know who have listened to all the episodes of the podcast, I've found tarot cards in particular to be very healing for me, not tarot in your traditional sense, but learning the symbology and the history behind the tarot and the meaning of the different cards. For many of you who aren't experienced in tarot, it is, if you really study the cards, you find that each of them are in order and they represent something called the hero's journey that each of us go on. I never heard of this concept of the hero's journey. And I want to be open in that, again, if you've listened to the podcast, I grew up raised in a household of semi-Christianity. I was raised Catholic, going to church, Catholic church with my mother and grandmother. My dad never went to church with us because he didn't get his marriage officially annulled with his ex-wife. He could not take communion at Catholic church. And so he found it to be not something he wanted to do. So my sister and I would go to church with my grandma and my mom and my dad would stay home. And because of that, um, my sister and I started asking questions like, why isn't dad coming to church with us? And rather than explain that we were bastard children in the eyes of the Catholic church and explain to us the concept of annulment and communion and all of that stuff, my parents decided to start taking us to a Methodist church. So then I was raised uh, going to church in the Methodist church, which in the area of Christianity, Methodist churches are pretty cool. They are very inclusive. And um, I had a positive experience uh, going to church when I was young, even though no spiritual topics were never explained to me. Going to church was just something that I had to do. And so therefore I actually started really developing a negative association with my own spirituality. And I was cut off from that. And so as I've gotten older, I completely rejected anything spiritual, like anything that was meditation, uh, anything kind of like religious, I just sort of rejected because I never had a positive association with anything spiritual in my life. I never would have considered myself to be atheist because that felt a little too extreme. I knew there was something bigger than me out there. There had to be, there has to be something more. And also if there are atheists listening to the podcast, you are so welcome because I don't know anything. And I think as I've grown up, I'm realizing that not knowing anything and admitting that you actually don't know anything for sure is the most mature thing you can do. And the smartest and most intelligent people in the world quite often admit that they don't know anything for certain. So when I began my recovery journey, the tarot sort of naturally came into my life. I've always been drawn to it. I lived in LA and I decided one day that I would go to a store in LA and pick out a deck of tarot cards. And I decided to do this because I came across Elliot Adam, who is the tarot reader that I 
was drawn to because he described the cards and introduced me the concept of the hero's journey. And learning about the cards, the cards and the way that Elliot Adam described them, and as I found tarot readers that described the cards in with the perspective of the hero's journey, I started to understand why the tarot could be so spiritually meaningful for anyone, regardless of how you believe. Because the hero's journey is something that we all go on. It's a collective thing. And I want to read to you a little bit about what the hero's journey is. I'm taking a chance here. I'm going off the rails because this is stuff that's actually helping me. And I'm hoping that it can help someone else out there too. So many of us with that struggle with our mental health, we were raised in varying degrees of trauma and abuse and neglect. Some of us had all of our basic needs met at home and but then we're completely emotionally and spiritually neglected. So if you're someone like me, you were raised in a home where your physical needs were met. I had a warm house. We never ever had to worry about whether we I had enough food or clothes for school. We were middle class. My parents were teachers. Sometimes I had hand-me-down clothes, you know, from my cousins. But I never went without. I never ever had to worry about my basic needs. So many people out there, and I'm sure so many of you that are listening were raised in homes where not only were you emotionally neglected, maybe you were physically abused. You had to worry about your basic needs being met. But regardless, any of this trauma is all damaging and it all leads to us growing up into adults who were robbed of the ability to go through the phases of the hero's journey through the process of individuation, as Sigmund Freud calls it. All of these great, all these amazing human beings in history, and I'm not saying Freud is amazing, he has his limitations, but again, we're all human beings. But Sigmund Freud was someone who knew there had to be more. Carl Jung was someone who knew there had to be more. The inventors of the tarot, they knew there's something more out there. We have to connect to this universal journey that we all go through. We don't hear about this in the media. We don't hear about this from so many of us that are mentally ill. (laughs) We don't hear about any of this from our parents. I personally felt growing up like I was just living in a home where my parents kind of just had to keep me alive. Like as long as I'm alive and I'm not in immediate danger, like I just was there. And if I got too emotional or if I pointed out the clear fucked upness of the emotional state of my household, then I was a problem and it needed to be verbally beaten out of me to a certain extent. I was not physically abused. I want to reiterate that. But the moment I pointed out my dad's anger or my mom not stepping in to protect me, I sensed that as a child and I knew it was wrong. That, That flicker of spirit inside of me knew something was not right. And so that little 
that little hero inside of me that all of you have inside of you too is going, something's not right here. But some of us continue to fight and fight and fight and fight against our parents. And we knew something was, was wrong. And what happens? We become the problem child. Then we start believing we're a problem. Some of us go within ourselves. My little sister, she went within herself. I was fighting against my parents. My sister saw, ooh, that doesn't work. That method doesn't work. So I'm going to go within. And my sister retreated. I lashed out. But both of us were raised in a home where we did not get any type of meaningful emotional guidance. We weren't, we didn't have any role models for two parents that had any level of self-awareness or um, emotional maturity. So I want to read to you a little bit about what the hero's journey is. Because chances are, unless you're working with a Jungian analyst, you're not going to hear about individuation or these types of things in your regular mental health facility because we go in to get mental health treatment and we're just one of the many and we're usually thrown on a medication and if it doesn't work the next thing try another medication try another medication and I want to be clear that SSRIs antidepressants actually really helped get me back to baseline at one point. So I want to be clear that if you're on a medication, this isn't the time to just throw your medication out the window, right? I went off six different psychiatric medications at one point, cold turkey, because I was so fucking pissed, quite frankly, that three different psychiatrists have given me three different diagnoses. I was on all these different medications. All the side effects were hitting me all different angles. I couldn't even cry. I remember I watched that, um, in the arms of an angel, that fucking dog commercial. If you live in the United States, there's a commercial where Sarah McLaughlin is talking about abused animals and they show these shots of these abused and neglected dogs. And that fucking commercial will make me instantly cry no matter where I am. And I remember one day I saw that commercial and I was on six different psychiatric medications and I was looking at that commercial and I felt like a dead vegetable. I was looking at it and like, there was no emotion that came up. It was just dead. And that's when I went, uh-oh. Something inside of me said, this is not how I'm supposed to feel. The goal is to not deaden these emotions. This can't be right. Yeah, I'm not wanting to kill myself anymore, but I also have like no fucking feelings left. This isn't right either. So I want to read to you a little bit about the hero's journey now, and I hope that this helps. I'm starting to just trust my gut. I love all of you so much, and it makes me emotional, but I know you all understand, and you don't judge me for getting emotional, but I'm going to trust my intuition that someone out there needs to hear this and that this is going to help you. I'm not trying to convert anyone to any religion if you have like if you think that the tarot is like witchy and weird and cultish open your mind for a second because it's just pointing out a bigger picture journey that i think so many of us 
were robbed of as children. And this has been helping me so much. Now, I'm reading to you from a blog by Jessica Davidson. She is a tarot reader, but also just a spiritual introspective person who's super into mythology and spirituality. And I love the way she writes about it because you can tell she writes about things with a a psychology-based nuance behind it. So this is what she writes about the hero's journey. The hero's journey is one of our oldest myths. It shows how we grow from ignorance to enlightenment through various stages of development, both individually and collectively. It was called a monomyth by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and is often used to structure stories in films and novels. Archetypes are abstract forms, patterns of emotion, or morphic fields that underpin our collective unconscious. They represent our shared experience as humans and depict behaviors and reactions recognizable across cultures. They appear in our dreams, fantasies, and myths from where they exude a powerful influence on our lives. Archetypes tap into our psyche at a profound level and as multidimensional symbols are not easily accessible to the rational mind. Since these symbols operate from the unconscious mind, we tend to project them onto others and situations in our lives and are often totally unaware of why we behave the way we do. The archetypes work through our unconscious actions, and they only become active when we follow their universal forms. As individuals, we can grow in two different ways— The first is a natural process of growth guided by archetypal forms and social structures. This happens without any conscious control and is the way we grow through childhood. None of us choose to learn to walk or talk. It just happens. Not that it's easy. The second type of growth is more conscious and deliberate. It is a process of inner development that still follows archetypal patterns, but requires active engagement from us. Carl Jung called this process individuation. Now, this is an important concept for all of you to know. If you dive into researching individuation, this is a sidebar from me, Molly. This is no longer Jessica Davidson. Look up individuation and read everything you can about it. Do it. I promise you it's going to change your life. So Jessica continues, individuation is guided by the archetype of the self, a symbol of psychic wholeness. The self with a capital S includes everything while the self with a small S is the limited personal self. Individuation involves growing towards wholeness and integration from identification with the ego to the self, the big S self. It's an expansion of consciousness and self-awareness, which brings about a balancing of the opposite sides of the psyche. This is another sidebar from me, Molly. This sounds like really high level stuff, but this is super important. When we talk about splitting and you hear your therapist or someone saying you're splitting Very rarely are they going to talk to you about this stuff. This is where splitting comes from. 
when we are disidentified and we are fragmented and we're projecting things onto other us, our parents, our grandparents, generational trauma comes from this fragmentation, splitting off from ourselves. Individuation is the balancing of the two sides of the psyche. It's, it's putting everything together. So we're balanced, unfragmented human beings. And that's the goal of therapy. When you go to a therapist, when you go to a psychiatrist, this is what they're trained in. You wouldn't fucking know it half the time because quite frankly, I think psychiatrists, a lot of them out there, there are good ones. I'm not going to split, but there are a lot of mental health professionals out there who are at the mercy of this system, at the mercy of drug companies, at just how it's become, it's gotten out of control. And so they're not going to talk about these core issues, the hero's journey, individuation, and we're robbed of this knowledge. And I'm trying to give it to you. This isn't woo-woo stuff. This is like what psychiatry is based upon. Jessica continues to say, this won't happen. And by this, she means this bringing these two, these fragmented pieces of ourselves together, this process of individuation. It won't happen unless we make the effort. We must choose to individuate. It is a process that takes courage and determination. This is the hero's journey. Now, how can we become more conscious of this process of growth and embark upon our hero or heroine's journey? We need a way to access the symbolism of the unconscious and learn its language. One system that has been used for centuries to do this is the tarot. This is why I love the tarot, everyone. Sidebar from Molly here again. The tarot is something that was created very long ago. It's like pre-psychiatry, psychiatry. It's pre-Freud, Freud. It's pre-Jung, Jung. Okay? This is, this is something that helped people reflect and guide their days to connect to these universal archetypes to help them become psychologically whole. So she continues to say, the tarot is a metaphorical and symbolic system which can be used to access the wisdom of the collective unconscious. The cards can be used as a focus for meditation and contemplation, leading to the development of self-knowledge and spiritual growth. Tarot packs consist of 78 cards made up of 22 major arcana or greater secrets cards and 56 minor arcana or lesser secrets cards. The minor arcana are similar to modern playing cards, consisting of sets of wands, pentacles, swords, and cups. But the major arcana are the ones that interest us here. They depict the archetypal hero's journey, using images to show the stages of psychological and spiritual growth that we all travel, if we choose. Each card shows an archetypal representation of a universal situation, feeling, or behavior pattern found in the collective unconscious. They are grouped into two stages. The first half of the major arcana explores the path of self-development as we grow from child to adult, where the second half turns inward and looks at the journey towards spiritual transcendence and individuation. There's that word again, individuation. Freud says it. Psychiatrists today still use that phrase. All these stages are set out one after another. The hero's journey doesn't necessarily proceed in a straight line. 
The entire process can be experienced at any point in your life and the journey may be undertaken many times over. You circle round and round, gradually waking up and growing in self-awareness until you reach maturity or full enlightenment. Nobody knows where tarot cards came from originally or who first created them. They appear to have come out of the cultural explosion of the medieval renaissance, a time when there was a lot of exploration of different philosophies and religions. The cards were probably created in Europe, but they incorporate imagery from multiple traditions, including Christian, Gnostic, Islamic, Celtic, and Norse. Unsurprisingly, the Roman Catholic Church condemned the tarot, calling it the Devil's Bible or the Devil's Picture Book. It seems likely that the tarot was used to teach initiates of occult mystery schools that the cards were designed to represent the various stages of a system of initiation using a secret symbolic language. In fact, the tarot imagery is very similar to that of alchemy, which was used as a way of developing the consciousness of the initiate to lead them into something called enlightenment. Each card represents a riddle that must be solved before the initiate can move on to the next stage of the journey. The symbols contained in the cards can awaken the intuition and bring the unconscious to life, leading to an inner illumination which expands the conscious mind. I love Jessica's explanation of this. Tarot cards have been really helpful for me because I didn't have a parent in my life to guide me through this hero's journey. That's what parents are for, are to set you up for success in life, to teach you these universal themes that everyone goes through, how to become your own individual person, how to wake up to your innate nature. Tarot is not the only way to look at this. It's not the only lens, but I'm sharing this all with you because it's been helpful for me. I don't shuffle my cards and draw a card and think this is my future. No, what I've been doing for the last two years is drawing a card every day, finding a couple of tarot readers like Jessica Davidson, um, personally like Rachel Pollack, She wrote a book called 78 Degrees of Wisdom, A Tarot Journey to Self-Awareness, which is changing my life. And I will link that in the podcast notes in case you're interested. With the help of the tarot and these books, I've developed my own spiritual and personal meditative practice where I just draw a card in the morning and I read what these authors write about the card, which they explore the mythology and the part of the hero's journey that that card corresponds to. And then I just meditate on that. I think about how these patterns are coming up in my life and it gives me a moment of introspection to check in with myself and I am finding it so profoundly healing and I'm doing this in conjunction with reading a ton of books by mental health professionals, reading into toxic shame, particularly childhood emotional neglect, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, and how it's held in our bodies. This stuff is working for me. 
And I hope by now listening, if you're a longtime listener and you've listened to like all 18 or 19 episodes, I am not sponsored by anyone. (laughs) I am just a person really going through this. And I really want the best for every single person that comes across my podcast. And this is working for me. And if you are feeling like you're all out of options, like maybe it's worth a try. And I'm finding as someone who is really, really burned by a lot of standard um, organized religion, I've found home in these universal patterns and the hero's journey. And I hope that it helps someone. And even if you don't decide to take up your own practice like this, I hope that just hearing it framed in this way is a different perspective for you because you're not crazy. You just never had anyone show you and tell you that you're going on your own hero's journey. And whether you're a teenager listening to this, whether you're older it's never too late. You can start now. And it's not your fault that you felt crazy because no one ever told you about these things. You went to mental health professionals. They didn't even bring up the concept of individuation to you because quite frankly, I really believe that a lot of psychiatrists and people in the mental health industry, they think that what, we're too stupid and fucking crazy to understand these high level concepts. Don't we have to understand the root of it all to fucking help ourselves? It makes me angry. Why aren't we being taught this stuff in school? Not the tarot, but just why aren't we taught about, let me just be clear, I don't think we should be teaching tarot. Well, it might be better than what we're being taught now, but I'm not being that extreme where I think every child should be forced to like get a tarot deck and do this stuff. But I do think that, It's such a shame that we're never taught in school about individuation, about um, projection and how we can become fragmented and how about toxic shame. It's such a tragedy to me. Another concept that we are robbed of being taught about, our parents are also robbed of this and their parents' parents and their parents' parents and also, quite frankly, a lot of mental health professionals you'll sometimes go to a therapist and I'm sorry, but you know, when you sit down with a therapist and you're like, you are just regurgitating exactly what you're supposed to be doing, which is like, have you tried an antidepressant? Have you tried mindfulness meditation? Oh, come back again next week. Don't judge yourself. Oh, you're judging yourself. No, we have to dig deeper than this. So another concept that we've been talking about on this episode is the self. I keep saying the big S self, self with a capital S, not a lowercase S. If that is like a foreign concept to you, that's okay because it was a foreign fucking concept to me as well, but it is deeply damaging that it's a foreign concept to us. So I'm going to read to you also what Jessica Davidson describes about the self Self can mean many different things depending on the context or system of thought. When we refer to our self, we tend to mean something along the lines of the dictionary definition of the word, a person's essential being that distinguishes them from others. 
It's also considered to be the source of our actions and thoughts and to provide us with a specific personality or individuality. Needless to say, none of that quite holds up to scrutiny. Generally, we can say there are two selves, the self, lowercase s, and the self, uppercase s. The self with a small s tends to be equated with the ego, while the self with a big S is equated with the higher self, true self, or witness. These are important terms that again, if you are like hardcore in your recovery, write this down now. I'll take a pause so you can get a pen and paper. Put it in your iPhone notes right now. You need to do a deep dive. Look it up on YouTube. There's millions of videos. Get very familiar with these concepts. Individuation, higher self, true self, or ego. Look into these concepts. It will really help you in your recovery. It's the root of everything, okay? It's not just the the bullshit that we get, the quick fixes. So Jessica continues by saying, but to be more accurate, we should distinguish between the self and the ego and acknowledge that the self isn't strictly a self at all. In psychology, the ego and the self are seen as different entities with different functions. The self arises first, the ego coming along later in our development in childhood. The self is the basic sense you have of being located in a body in a particular place with sensations and feelings. It's always embodied or rooted in your awareness of your physical being. The ego develops gradually through childhood and is a mental structure created in relation to your sense of self. The ego is what you think about yourself. It's the ego that comes up with the stories you tell yourself about who you think you are. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm non-binary. I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm a graphic designer. I'm happy. I'm your friend. And so on. So the ego becomes what we think of as the I, me. I hope you're keeping up with this because I just want to say again, it's okay if this is confusing to you. I've spent hours upon hours upon hours and almost a year now diving into this stuff. It blew my mind when I first dove into this stuff and it was very confusing, but stay with me, okay? I think you trust me at this point. This is important stuff. This can cause problems if we become too identified with the ego at the expense of the self. If the ego develops in a way that denies too much of the reality of the self, the body and its feelings, we lose touch with our deeper selves. For example, the concept of narcissism is where there is a strong ego, but a weak sense of self. Ideally, a healthy ego is grounded and connected with a strong sense of self. Individuation, right? There's no fragmenting. They're connected. They talk to each other. We have a good grasp on who we are and a balanced view of reality. Who we think we are matches who we feel ourselves to be, and others perceive us this way too. 
The self, the big S self, has a multitude of names, which may mean different things within each belief or thought system. But generally speaking, the self is the root of your awareness. It is pure consciousness or emptiness. In reality, it has no content, no form. It's what enables you to be aware of yourself, of everything around you and in you. It's totally impersonal, which is why I feel it isn't strictly accurate to call it a self. So that's where Jessica ends in this discussion. The point of this is, is that you were born as your big S self. You were born ready to go on this hero's journey. You were ready to just be. You were perfect. You were lovable. You were pure love. And then you were forced into this environment where the people around you were also not taught about this. And because you're a child, you were born with this true nature and you're looking around at the people around you that, that, for, that were never taught this and were trying to beat it out of you. And I mean that beat it out of you verbally, non-verbally, physically, in all these different ways. But the message you were getting was something's wrong with this free, unbridled nature that you felt. You were made to feel shame of your instincts, of showing big emotions, of expressing your sexuality because it triggered something in the people around you and that raised you and they shut it down inside of you. And that's why you grew up feeling crazy. So you, so you fragmented these pieces off. They split off. And because we're all raised in different environments, we develop different coping mechanisms. Some people like my sister, they go within, they take everything out on themselves. They, they have a hard time standing up for themselves. My sister has a really hard time holding her boundaries. She's one of the most talented artists I've ever seen. And she has such a hard time demanding her value from clients, saying no when people take advantage of her. Me, I was raised in the same environment as my sister, but because I'm a different being, I raged, I fought against, I rebelled, I destructed, I, I drank, I used sex as self-harm, I, I stole things, I screamed back at my parents. The concept of the hero's journey has helped me reconnect with my big S self. It's still there inside of you too. I promise you, you are not crazy. You just were robbed of the opportunity to go on your hero's journey, to be even told that it even exists. So this morning I drew a card and I admit I actually had a completely different plan for this podcast episode today. I had all these different articles that were research-based and I was going to share them with you. And I drew this card this morning and, and my higher self, the pure sense of awareness within me said, you need to share this with your audience. And so that's what I'm doing. And I drew a card from the major arcana this morning, which is those set, the set of cards we talked about from Jessica's blog that we just read, that is a part of the hero's journey. And the card I drew 
is called temperance. And what I'd like you to do, if you can, if you're in an environment where you can do this, if you're listening to this podcast and you can safely look up a picture of the card called temperance on Google, look up temperance tarot card. That's T-E-M-P-E-R-A-N-C-E. Please God say that I spelled that correctly. Otherwise I'm going to look like a damn fool on uh, my podcast, but you guys won't judge me. So look up a picture of the card because while I read this to you, you are going to get a lot more out of it, I think. So I told you about the book that's really changing my life right now, and it's called 78 Degrees of Wisdom, A Tarot Journey to Self-Awareness, and it's by an author named Rachel Pollack. What I've done in the podcast notes is I have shared all of the links to all of these blogs, the links to the books that I've mentioned, and I even sent a link Um, included a link rather of the tarot deck that I use. And I use the writer um, weight tarot deck. There are so many different tarot decks, but I personally use the writer weight tarot deck because it matches the pictures and the books that I love so much. And I like to be able to connect those two things, but this is totally personal for you. So I drew the card temperance. And what I do when I draw the card, as I mentioned before, is I read from one of the books that I have, the the way that the authors that I respect the most, how they describe this card, and then I reflect upon it. And I read this definition of this card today, and it spoke to me so much that I had to share it with all of you. So this is what Rachel Pollack says about the card temperance and what it means to each of us in the hero's journey. And I particularly thought this card was so relevant in its message to those of us who are struggling with our mental health. So this is what she says. As time goes by, our ego becomes rigid. Slowly, behavior becomes less a response to reality and more a string of habits. The purpose of the second line of the major arcana in the tarot is to free us from this artificial personality and at the same time give us a glimpse of the greater truths within the universe. Temperance shows a person whose behavior is once again connected to the real world, but in a way more meaningful than ever before. For if the child relates directly to life, it does so without consciousness, and as a consciousness grows, so does the ego. Temperance indicates the ability to combine spontaneity with knowledge. The term temperance means moderation. For most people, this means self-control. The tarot temperance, however, does not go to extremes, because extremes are not necessary. Not an artificial inhibition according to a moral code, but exactly the opposite, a true and proper response to all situations as they arise. The word temperance derives from the Latin temperare, which means to mix or to combine properly. The person who has released his or her inner self is characterized not only by moderation, but by an ability to combine the different sides of life. Many people can only deal with life by parceling it off into sections. Does that sound familiar? By splitting. So many of us can only deal with life by splitting. 
They create one personality for business and another for their private lives, but both of these are false. They consider certain moments and situations to be serious and others to be fun and are careful never to smile at a serious subject. The people they love are often not the people whom they find sexually attractive. All these separations derive from the inability to take life as it comes, moment by moment. Temperance combines the elements of life. In reality, it combines the elements of the personality so that the person in the outer world will flow together naturally. This card symbolizes a return. We've gone down into the self and we're now making our way back to involvement with the outer world, enriched. Abstract ideas are becoming reality. Temperance is a card of behavior, not concepts. In the card, the angel stands with one foot on land, one foot in water. The water represents the unconscious, so the land symbolizes the real world of events and with other people. The temperate personality acting from an inner sense of life is able to link these two realms, the emotional self and the real world. The water also indicates potentiality, that is, the possibilities of life, while the land symbolizes manifestation or actuality. In a different deck, temperance shows water being poured on a lion and a torch dripping flames on an eagle. The angel is mixing the basic duality, inseparably combining the different sides of life that previously appeared hopelessly alien to each other. As the lower form, the scorpion, this energy shows itself primarily as sexuality, the animal desires of the undeveloped personality. When the energy has become transformed by channeling it through self-awareness, it becomes the eagle of spirituality. Strength showed this energy brought out in the form of the lion. The angel on the temperance card resembles the Greek goddess Iris, whose sign was the rainbow. A rainbow appears on the Bota card and iris flowers on the rider pack version. Rainbows appear as a sign of peace after the storm, which reminds us that temperance shows the personality released by the fearful experience of death. The rainbow comes from water, yet shines as light across the sky, an emblem of the inner self, which once seemed so dark, chaotic, fearful, brought out joyously transformed into the promise of new life. In Jewish and Christian tradition, the rainbow is a sign of renewal after the flood. The flood, like Shiva's destruction of the universe, stands psychologically for the death of old patterns, which do not reflect the truth and joy of life and which lead people into evil, behavior destructive to themselves and others. As Zeus's messenger, Iris traveled to the underworld to fill her golden cup with water from the river Styx. By the way, this is a a myth. This is from Greek mythology. The Greeks believed that souls traveled across the Styx to the land of the dead. Only a descent into the underworld of the self can renew life. Do you hear that? Only by going through the underworld can we really embrace and feel truly alive. There is a message there for us. Religiously, the angel symbolizes the immortal soul liberated by death. If you look closely on the card, 
Below the collar, you will see God's name worked into the fabric of the angel's gown. In Christian tradition, the soul will become joined with God after the resurrection. The triangle within the square indicates that the spirit rises from within the material body. Psychologically, the angel indicates the energy of life, which emerges after the ego's death. The triangle now shows that this energy works within the square of ordinary activities. We do not need to perform miracles to sense our connection with the immortal universe. We need only be ourselves. We become masters of our own fate when we learn to deal with life as it comes and not according to routines of habits and defenses. I'm going to repeat that sentence because it is so important. We become masters of our fate when we learn to deal with life as it comes and not according to routines of habits and defenses. The divinatory meanings of this card begin with moderation, balance in all things, and taking the middle path. Now, if you don't believe that some of this stuff is universal, this has got to make you believe now. In DBT therapy, which is the therapy that Marsha Linehan created for people with borderline personality disorder and is used in various other ways as well, she talks about wise mind, which is actually a concept from Buddhism, which is like the middle path, not being in the extremes, right? We find a sense of centeredness. So this stuff, (laughs) it goes back much further than we even know. The temperance card means right action, doing the correct thing in whatever situation arises. Very often, this means doing nothing. I want to repeat that again. The card means right action, doing the correct thing in whatever situation arises. Very often, the correct thing is to do nothing. The intemperate person always needs to be doing something, but very often a situation requires a person to simply wait. So many of us who are struggling with BPD, CPTSD, and many other mental health issues, we feel like we need to react, defend, lash out. And for me, that's something that's been huge in my recovery as I'm learning the power in just deciding to sit with my silence for a few minutes. Sometimes things just work themselves out. Sometimes if someone is treating you poorly and you decide to just stare at them in silence, you'll be surprised at what happens. The card will sometimes appear as an antidote to cards of recklessness and hysteria. Temperance signifies mixing disparate elements together, blending activities and feelings to produce a sense of harmony and peace. If the card appears reversed, it indicates a wildness going to extremes. In temperance, this is because the person lacks the inner awareness to know what is appropriate to a situation. The card reversed acts as a warning that you have allowed your life to become fragmented, split, and that you are sliding from one extreme to another. It can in fact indicate failure in the great task of letting old habits and fears die away into the past. On a simple level, 
the reversed temperance card tells us to calm down and avoid extremes. In its deepest sense, it sends us back to strength to begin that long, sometimes painful, sometimes frightening, but always essentially joyous process of death and rebirth. I hope that all of this was helpful for you out there. Episodes like my last episode with Stephanie Carreña, the clinical psychologist, are super important because we need the opinions of professionals, but I also think that it's important that we have conversations like this. I am going through what so many of you are going through. I think it's important that we learn about the hero's journey, about individuation, about the self, the ego. Now I'll open up to you all about something else I'm going through right now. I am really trying to figure out what a healthy relationship with my parents looks like. Right now, I feel like I have such a hollow relationship with them. As I'm sure you heard in my last episode with Stephanie, I recently had my parents visit me in July and I had an opportunity to just sort of, I let everything go. I kind of just yelled at them for 15 minutes about all of the shit that I was put through as a child and how I felt like I was just a passive bystander in their emotionally abusive relationship with each other, with my sister and I. I screamed at them, why did you even have kids? Did you just have kids so that two little creatures could be running around and you keep them alive and they're just an annoyance to you? I didn't understand. And I'm saying this to say, my parents are good people. They, I'm not saying my parents, I did never have moments of warmth with my parents and love. And quite frankly, that's what has made my recovery process all the more confusing because my dad would have explosive bouts of really emotionally and verbally abusive behavior towards me. And then my mom would completely protect herself and be more afraid of my dad being mad at her than protecting her own kids. And then my dad would come to me in the morning crying and saying he was sorry. But the night before I had cried myself to sleep. I spent so many nights crying myself to sleep and I used to have books on tape and they were, yes, I used to listen to tapes and then it turned into CDs, but I used to have the Harry Potter books on tape and Harry Potter was a comfort for me growing up and I would turn those tapes on to drown out the noise, the voices in my head when you're crying yourself to sleep, you want to go and talk to your mom and get comfort. But because my parents were the ones who were causing me this distress, I didn't have anyone to go to. And so listening to these books on tape, I realized that I developed a maladaptive coping mechanism to that protected me, right? I was, I was as a child figuring out how to protect myself these big emotions that I was feeling and knowing that my parents weren't there for me were destroying me. And so I had to drown it out, but then I just started drowning it out. And then cell phones came about and then I was on my phone to drown out these thoughts. And then I grew up 
as someone who just was avoiding these big feelings. And I never had any adult to guide me through them. So then what did I do? I grew up and I started dating emotionally abusive and neglectful people, attracting friends into my life that were similar to my parents. And I just felt crazy when I was around my family and I would go back home for holidays. I would find myself being the most angry version of myself, lashing out at my family, my parents rather, and them just really kind of being like, wow, you just still can't get over your childhood. You know, wow, are you ever going to let this go? No, I'm not going to fucking let it go until I feel like you truly acknowledge the depth of the damage. And you don't have to blame yourself, but you, if I have the ability to go on this deep journey of self-awareness, I'm angry right now because that means my parents can fucking do it too. And I'm angry about it. And on another episode, I played a clip that if you're a longtime listener and you listen to all of these episodes, I played a clip of a John Bradshaw, who's one of my favorite authors, and he writes a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You. And I highly recommend that everyone read this book. He shows a clip in a YouTube uh, video that I found where it is a therapist working with a woman and having her just really release a lot of these feelings and scream out her anger at her parents. And I realized that I never did a lot of anger release. I had, I realized in the last few weeks how much anger I have still. I am so angry. And until I release that anger and really let it go, it was going to be hard for me to really move on. And just yesterday, I received a text from my mom and it was actually just a text that if anyone else saw it, no one, you, you would probably not think anything of it, but I received a text from my mom and it made me really angry and it just triggered me in the classic sense of the word. And what I did was I said, I'm going to put my recovery tools into practice right now. So I asked Zaz, my partner, if he could come downstairs and I said, Zaz, I'm feeling very angry right now. I received a text from my mom that filled me with a lot of anger. And I realized that if anyone else received this text, maybe they wouldn't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to me. And I'd like it if I could just express how I feel to you. And he said, okay. And you know what, listener? <laughs> I screamed. I screamed out everything that I wanted to say to my mom from the bottom of my gut. And I cried and it left me shaking in a puddle on the floor. And Zaz just sat there and listened. And it felt amazing. I needed to do that. And I needed to process that anger. And your anger, our anger, is here to protect us. That anger rose up in us as children. And we've grown up listening to our books on tape or doing whatever we did to distract ourselves from it. But it needs to get out. 
And if it can't get out, it's going to get out in different ways, like us lashing out in little ways at work, or if someone gives us a look and we explode and react. I like to think of us that struggle with our mental health like a pressure cooker, right? It's like we have all this anger and little things. People are like, God, that wasn't a big deal. Why did you react like that? It's because we have all these emotions that we've not been able to no one's told us how to express them in healthy ways. And, and what it happens is if you've ever seen a pressure cooker, if you let out a little bit of air, it goes psst, psst, and it's really hot and you can burn yourself. We are all these pressure cookers. And yesterday I just took the lid off the pressure cooker and all that steam just came out and it felt amazing. Today, I feel like I can breathe a little bit better. I don't have to scream all that stuff at my mom because it actually would make it worse because she would react in ways that would trigger me. And I'm sure she would just try to defend herself and take it as a personal attack on her and completely be absorbed by her own ego, which is what both my parents have literally done my entire life. It, my parents, I don't think have displayed true empathy for their children. I have not seen yet. My parents really put themselves in the shoes of their children they spend too much time trying to defend them their, themselves and making sure they have a mask of being good. Do I think that my parents think they have flaws? Yes, I don't, I don't think my parents are narcissists, nor do I think that we should stigmatize someone who's labeled as a narcissist because a narcissist is just someone who has also gone through a lot of trauma, who has split off and is fragmented just like the rest of us. They're just, they developed different coping mechanisms. I have compassion for my parents, but what I'm realizing is I might not be ready to have a relationship with them right now. I might need a little bit of a break. And I'm trying to figure that out right now. Maybe I need to think about my relationship parents with my parents like I would as with a romantic relationship. Maybe I need to break up with my parents for a little bit doesn't mean we can't get back together once, once there is an equal amount of self-awareness and we're ready to have a fulfilling relationship with one another. But right now, all I get from my parents is either the occasional text that's just them putting their fear on me or a random meme or picture. I don't, my parents, I don't know if they listen to this podcast. They know I make it but I don't have any sense of emotional, true emotional connection to either one of my parents. I know they, I, I think they love me and they're, I, no, I know they love me. They love me in their own way. But do you even hear how I'm talking right now? I don't feel it. I don't feel that I am truly accepted by them. I, I don't feel it. And when I see other people that have this deep, loving relationship where their parents are like so involved in their life and like have deep conversations that go a little bit below the surface with their parents without their parents like freaking out or being triggered or getting angry. Like, I don't know what that's like. And I'm jealous of people that have that. And when I see it, it makes me sad and I'm still working through that stuff. And I wanted to open up to all of you because I'm sure some of you are going through the same and it's hard because maybe for some people, my partner Zaz, for example, his dad was never in his life. His dad 
His mom left his dad because his dad was really, really abusive. And so his mom chose to leave his dad. And Zaz never had his dad in his life. And Zaz's dad has made multiple half-hearted attempts every maybe 10 years to try to check in. And Zaz just cut his dad off and decided he has enough healthy emotional mirroring and support from his mom that he is healthier without a relationship with his dad. For me, my parents have been there for me. They've swooped in and supported me financially when I completely self-imploded and was near was suicidal a couple of year couple of years ago. They paid for my college. They paid for all of my choir trips growing up and went to all of my concerts and supported me. But then I grew up also in a completely emotionally neglectful and starved environment where I was made to feel like a bad person if I called out real truthful problems in our family dynamics. And it fucked me up so profoundly that I would rather have been raised in a hovel with nothing, with a parent that just told me I was amazing on my own. It fucked me up so bad. (laughs) And they got fucked up by their own parents. I've had conversations with my uncle, who is my mother's brother, who openly talks about how damaged he is from the emotional neglect in his own home that my mom was in. But my mom has never once opened up about that to me. I don't know if she's even thought about it herself, but it makes me feel really disconnected from my mom because quite frankly, I don't want to have relationships with people who are not ready to be real about shit, especially not my parents. And if I'm going to be true to myself in my recovery, I have to have the same expectations of everyone in my life. I can still love them, but say, this is what I require. I require a deep, meaningful, healthy, emotional relationship from my parents. I require you to be emotionally aware. I require you to reflect and come to me after a period of reflection and really explain to both me and my sister and my older sister. My dad owes, I have a half sister. My dad owes her this too. An apology, reflection, and a description of their plan for how they are going to move forward and do better. We deserve that. And I'm holding everyone in my life to the same standard now. I can't come on this podcast and tell all of you to stand up for yourselves. And I can't be true to myself if I'm not doing it in all aspects of my life. And that includes my parents. What I have now is a shallow shallow, puddle shallow relationship with these two people that gave birth to me. So I need a break. I need a break. I need a break from my parents and I'm going to be telling them that I don't want them to come for Christmas this year and that I need a little bit of a break and that is really hard for me. I don't want to hurt their feelings. (laughs) but I have to care about my feelings more. And it's stopping me from completing this recovery journey. 
by holding different expectations for them than everyone else. So I have to do this for me. So I'm sharing this with all of you because I'm hoping that it will help. And I'm also sharing it because I want you to know how serious I am about this. I want you to get the real recovery journey. That's not just talking to psychologists. That's me talking about this stuff. I never hear anyone talking about this stuff. Why? This is what helps us heal. So I want to get to a point where getting a text from my mom doesn't trigger something inside of me that makes me angry, even when she's trying to say something nice, because it feels hollow to me. I want to really heal this. I want to see reflection from them. I want to see introspection. I want to see self-awareness. I want to see that they want to go on their own hero's journey like I am because they owe it to themselves. They owe it to their children and your parents owe it to you too. And if you're a parent listening to this because you're trying to find help for your child or your partner that is quote-unquote, causing you problems. Have you gone on your own hero's journey yet? This is our own personal responsibility. I used to be terrified of being a mother. I'm not terrified anymore because I know that I'm going on my hero's journey before I decide to have a child. And for those of you out there that have children already, it's never too late. But the message is to tell your child, there's nothing wrong with you. I have my own stuff I'm working through. If I snap at you or get angry, it's because I'm going through something. Tell me how you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with your big feelings. Tell me them and I'll just sit here and listen to them. I'm going to do that for my child. And I know I'm not going to be a perfect parent, but I know what to do now and I know what not to do. And I really hope that my parents can go on their own journey because there is so much my parents did right. And I do believe that they thought that they were doing their best, but that doesn't give them a free pass of not having to do the hard work. And I think it's my responsibility to hold, to put these boundaries in place and maybe that will spark them to go on their own internal journey. But it's not my responsibility. Maybe it's tarot for them. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's a book that they're drawn to. But it's our own responsibility to go on our journey and become self-aware And understand the concepts of individuation, the ego, the self. It is your responsibility. We have got children all across the world right now. Our parents were those children. We were those children once too. That were these perfect, beautiful beings that all they wanted to do, they were the big S self. They were their higher self. They were born shining bright. And then because their parents and 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 their parents got it stamped out of them. They grew up fragmented and then did it to another child. No more. No more. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect 
because I'm not a kid anymore. And for those of you who are listening that are no longer children, it fucking sucks what happened to us, but we're not kids anymore. And I want to tell you from me, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. You did not deserve it. You did not deserve to feel crazy. You did not deserve to feel like you were the problem. You did not deserve to feel like being an emotional child pointing out things that were factually wrong in your environment. You did not deserve to get treated like you did because of that. You were doing what felt right. You were following your intuition and your environment that you were raised in probably destroyed your connection to your intuition, which then led you to develop unhealthy coping mechanisms, which then turned into self-destructive behaviors, which then led you to feeling like you were broken and awful. And you probably end up either not being able to afford mental health care or rolling into a mental health professional's office, getting thrown some medication and told to fucking go and meditate. It's not good enough. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. You are welcome here on my podcast. You are welcome here for at least an hour a week to not feel crazy. I am going to find the most inspiring people that get it. And I'm going to bring them here and you can listen to them for free. And I hope that it will help you go on your hero's journey like I'm going on mine. There are bumps, there are starts. If anyone tells you that they're fully recovered and they're fixed, they're lying to you. Because if you listen to my podcast, I get messages all the time of like, you're an inspiration. You have saved my life. I am getting messages and I am like, I told Zaz, I got the most beautiful message last night. And I sat there to Zaz and I just said, I don't feel worthy of this. Like I'm just speaking my truth. I don't know how it's helping people, but because it is, I'm going to keep doing it. I promise you. Now I got a message from a listener on Instagram last night, and I want to read to you what he said to me. This is the message that just overwhelmed me. He said, hopeless and suicidal and then I got a diagnosis. I searched for BPD podcasts on Spotify and came across yours. I listen to episodes every day. You've given me so much inspiration to power through my life. You've inspired me with so much hope to seek help and stay on this earth longer. My wife even started listening. She loved an episode dedicated to BPD loved ones, but I wanted to say thank you for doing what you do. I stood in my bathroom staring at this Instagram message for what felt like five minutes and I just was full of empathy for this person and love for this person and this podcast episode is dedicated to all of you and I promise you I'm never going to stop doing this. My message might divert eventually because quite frankly, I'm going to be honest with all of you. I think diagnoses are fucking bullshit. 
I think that getting a label of borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, ADHD, CPTSD, PTSD, OCD, anxiety, major depressive disorder, bipolar. Fuck it. Fuck it. I just hit my microphone. I don't like it. It makes us feel broken. I understand why they're there. Okay, I get it. But I want to bring you this. I want to bring you stuff from the bottom of my heart that maybe can't be put into little diagnostic buckets that maybe can't be put in research, but I know is true. Now I'm going to finish. <laughs> Whew, I feel like I need to take a, like, a little breather. <laughs> I know that was really heavy, but... I feel like so many of us are starved for this shit. I'm so tired of surface level bullshit that I could just punch a wall. (laughs) And so I hope that my podcast and episodes like this can serve as like to fill that deep, empty void that we all feel from just having to listen to surface level bullshit that doesn't actually get to the root of about the accounts I follow and I don't follow a lot of my listeners back on Instagram and here's why it's because if you know anything about the Instagram algorithm you have the the accounts you follow are the ones you're going to be seeing in your feed and why I only follow accounts that post stuff that I can then share with all of you so I follow mental health professionals different philosophy accounts psychology accounts, all of these things so that I can, the only thing I see when I log into BPDT Instagram is helpful things that I can share with each of you. Now I'm going to do a little promo where um, I'm on Patreon. I'm going to link to my Patreon in the show notes, but it is patreon.com slash back from the borderline. I'm so honored because I've got 11 patrons now. (laughs) Last episode we talked, I only had one patron. I've got 11 patrons and we're growing every single day. And I'd love for you to join. Patreon is right for you if you like the things I talk about on the podcast, but you want more. I go deeper into these concepts. I like to call it my recovery masterclass. You get a really deep dive into what I'm going through and what I'm doing. So... I'm going to be sharing Instagram live soon. Um, So if you want to dive into things more, see like long two-hour random psychology YouTube videos that I find that are gems, I share all this stuff with my patrons because they are fellow deep divers. So if that sounds right for you, subscribe to my Patreon. Um, My tiers start at $5 a month. It's very small. So it helps me continue doing the work that I'm doing. And also eventually, hopefully I can do this full time and be able to pay my sister and Zaz who help me so much with the graphic design and visual parts of my content. So 
I say that to say now I'm going to finish with a few social media posts that stood out to me so much this week and I'm bringing these to you. I'm going to try every solo episode I do. I'm going to start just sharing some Instagram posts that were inspirational to me throughout the week and I'm going to link to every single post in the show notes. So if you want to take a deeper dive and actually see the images that go with these Instagram posts, um, you can do that. So the first Instagram post is by an account that I absolutely love. It's a page called The Secure Relationship, and it is a page that is created by a mental health professional. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist named Julia Manano. And this particular post was titled Tips to Manage the Negative Cycle. And she says the concept of the negative cycle was first addressed by Harriet Lerner in the mid-1980s and later used by Dr. Sue Johnson as the foundation of emotion-focused therapy for couples. In my resources highlight, I have book recommendations by both authors. In particularly, she recommends Hold Me Tight. It's a book by Dr. Sue Johnson. And for you listeners out there, I've got Hold Me Tight on my book list that I'm going to be reading soon because I've heard it mentioned so freaking often um, everywhere. So I'm going to link to that book too. You hear me typing my show notes as I'm recording this episode. So the post starts with saying tips to manage the negative cycle. And the next slide says things that can happen in a relationship until couples communicate outside of a negative cycle. So until we learn to communicate outside of these negative cycles in our life, we are unable to heal attachment wounds, work through tense topics, problem solve as a team, resolve disagreements, talk about different perspectives get to the heart of relationship problems, feel consistently close and connected, talk about breaking up with maturity or co-parent in a way that is best for the family. And this ties into everything we've talking, been talking about in this episode today. My entire childhood was one big negative communication cycle. In this graphic, she says, she has like two little speech bubbles and it's the couple and the couple says, Our problem isn't the negative cycle. Our problem is infidelity, step-parenting issues, incompatibility, sex issues, etc. And she's trying to describe here that people that come into therapy, parents or families, they're like, our problem is the child. This child, for example, me growing up when I went to therapy one time with my family, my family presented with me as the problem. Fix this broken child let's fix this so she's no longer a problem for us. And in this graphic, uh, the secure relationship, she says that this is the thing that she says back to these families that are caught in negative cycles. These problems are incredibly hard and painful, and I'm here to help. At the same time, we can't expect to start working through these big problems until we can get you to a place where you can communicate about them with safety. So, She says her first tip is to take the risk of vulnerability and there's speech bubbles in this graphic. And she gives us really healthy ways to open up 
and try to be vulnerable with the people in our lives. And if you're anything like me and you spent your entire life being only exposed to emotionally immature parents who take everything personally and blow up, you probably do the same thing too. I grew up, I realized in all my relationships, I was reactive, I blew up, and then I wondered why and convinced that I was going to be left and splitting and all this stuff. And so I had no way to communicate my big feelings without being reactive. And what I love about this post is she gives us tips on how to do that. So tip one is take the risk of vulnerability. Here are some things we can say to open up and express our big feelings. Here's the first one. I'm putting down my weapons and protections. We're not enemies. We're on the same team. The next one is, it's so overwhelming for me to stay in this conversation right now, but I'm willing to face the discomfort instead of running away because I want something better for us. The next one is empathy. So this graphic says, I know my partner is feeling misunderstood and demoralized right now, and I can relate to those painful feelings. Tip number three, validate, validate, validate. The post says, validating anger does not mean you have to agree with facts or disputed facts. It means you have to validate the feeling. What does that look like, right? This is what it looks like. This is what she she puts in a speech bubble. This is healthy validation of anger. This is good for parents or loved ones of people with BPD, but it's also good for all of us. So this is how you healthily validate anger. I understand why you'd feel angry right now, and I'm willing to make space for that part of you. Tell me more about your anger. The post goes on to say, validating anger is the best way to calm anger. Anger needs to be seen, heard, accepted, and understood. Not validating anger, either for yourself or your partner, will make it more likely to fester into resentment or come out in destructive ways. Remember how I described the pressure cooker? It's so important. So many of us don't validate our own anger and we don't validate the anger of others. We never had our own anger validated as children. We were told us we were told that we were crazy or that we were overreacting. So the post also says validating anger is not the same as condoning bad behaviors. Allowing space for your partner or child or yourself to put words to their anger in a healthy and productive way is one of the healthiest things you can do for yourself and relationship. Here are some other examples of healthy validation of anger. I see how sad you are right now and I understand you. I deeply understand how hard this is for you. I can only imagine how disrespected you felt when I said that to you. The next tip, show more than anger. Often when we're angry, we have a hard time understanding what is underneath our emotions. And that requires us sometimes to take a break. So if we're feeling attacked by someone or big feelings are coming up, instead of retaliation, it's often good to take a step back and say, what's, what's underneath this feeling? And this post shows a really good way to describe this to someone And it's like this, it's really demoralizing for me when I don't feel appreciated by you. In those moments, what you see is me being mean, but what's underneath the meanness is so much demoralization, but I can see how that leaves you feeling attacked and wounded. 
I love this because what it allows you to do is to express how deeply hurt you feel without showing the person that you love, without telling them that there's something wrong with them or that they're fucking up and you're trying to win or be right. Saying, here's how I'm feeling. But I can understand how when I lash out at you, you feel wounded too. We're in this together. The next tip, reflect your partner's perspective. So often we get caught up in these back and forths and both parties, and I'm just speaking about a partner with BPD and then a partner maybe without BPD right now, and it can just go back and forth and they're reacting, reacting, reacting. One person's one-upping the other and you're trying to win. But what we often forget to do is reflect our partner's perspective. And so this is a good way to reflect your partner's perspective, according to the post. So what you're saying is that the thought of spending more money right now makes you feel really insecure. I can see that. Doesn't, do you see the difference there? The next step, agree to take a break. What this looks like. I need to take a break and I know you need to have this resolved. How about we agree to talk about it again tomorrow morning when we've both had some time to think? This is fantastic advice for partners and loved ones that are tuning into this podcast because you maybe have a loved one in your life with BPD. Suggest that you take a break. Don't just storm out and leave because that often leaves people with trauma and emotional trauma, neglect in their life, feeling like it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone's going to leave us and there's no explanation. And we start to convince ourselves that you're never coming back and that we're horrible people. Saying something like this lets your partner know, let's step away for a little bit, but we will absolutely discuss this tomorrow morning and you're setting a time and date so they know in, in their minds that you're not just leaving them. Tip seven is put words to the urge. Here are ways that you can put words to the urge. I feel unheard and powerless right now, and I have an urge to start criticizing you, but I don't want to go into that terrible negative cycle that always gets us so stuck. Another way, my entire body feels like exploding. It feels like if I don't start yelling, I might just break down into powerlessness and sob. I feel so stuck. I don't want to yell anymore. Another way, what you're saying doesn't feel fair to me. Normally I'd just go along with it and resent you, but this time I'm going to do something different and show up with my authentic self. The last one, I feel so pulled to defend myself so you don't see me as the bad person in this. I'm working so hard not to do that. I hope that this helps you all out there, whatever perspective you're listening to this podcast from, I hope this helps you with some tactical, tangible things that you can do and make sense of all of the higher level subject matter that we covered on today's episode, because this hero's journey and this, this task of self-awareness that we go on requires us to look at arguments and disagreements in different ways that allows us to see that the people in our lives often aren't our enemies. They often are just other people going through their own shit. We're all going through this stuff and we have to stop. One person has to stop and identify with their higher 
big S self and realize, whoa, we're not enemies here. I'm feeling angry and hurting. What you're saying has made this feeling arise in me. And I want to talk about this with you, but we're on the same team and I want to work through this together. How can we do that? Do you see how that's different? Do you see that if you approach any situation with that mentality, it's impossible for anyone to throw you off your center, even if they are freaking out, even if they lose their cool. If you stick with that mentality, you can't lose. You can't be thrown off your equilibrium. So I hope that this was helpful for you. It's been a long episode and I've given you a lot to think about. So I'm going to tie things off for today, but I hope you can reflect on this. You may have to listen to this episode more than once. I think that would be beneficial. Go off and do your own research. I gave you all these topics that you should look into. There are so many different ways to embody these ideas that you can find what works for you. What works for me might not work for you, but I'll tell you what, these concepts are universal. Every human being on earth. I can, I can say that and really feel like that's the, the honest truth. So find your path. Dive beneath the surface. Go on your own hero's journey. I'm sending you so much love. And until next time, that's it for me. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine and that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media, and keep up with all the new updates, you can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode, so don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon book list recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.